Please turn in your Old Testaments to Isaiah 40, verses 12 through 17, as we continue in our series, Run and Not Grow Weary. And this is the Word of God. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shall show him counsel? Whom did God, whom did he consult? Who made him understand Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes the coastlands like fine dusts. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor all its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All of the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Three years ago, I was driving my daughter, Emily, back from a doctor's appointment. She had had a sports injury. And we were coming from kind of a checkup appointment. We were heading north on I-55 and just rounding the, the, the curve just when you come out under the Lakeland overpass and you straighten up to, to head out here toward Ridgeland. And just as we came through that curve, something awful happened. A white minivan with a Texas license plate. That's not a slam on Texas, by the way. It's just an observation. Slammed on the brakes rear end of this white Nissan minivan up in the air, that's a bad sign. That means it's stopping fast. We're on I-55 in rush traffic. I immediately reacted. I pushed the brake pedal almost through the floor, screeching rubber burning to a halt. And you know what? I actually stopped the car before it hit the minivan. Just one problem. It's I-55 at rush hour. And the next thing I saw was the most terrifying sight I have ever beheld. It was in the rearview mirror, and it was the car behind me that was not stopping. And right there at near highway speed, it just slammed into the back of our then Toyota Camry. And the impact was savage. I looked over at my daughter Emily. She was screaming, and I just said to her out loud after the impact, you're, all, you're okay, you're all right. Only to look in the rearview mirror again and to see a car spinning out of control with no brakes. Slam again. Four times. Every time we got hit, I would say, you're all right. And she just, it was just one scream that just didn't stop. And let me tell you, after four, and the hits weren't as violent as the first one because the cars were getting to stack up, it was the most savage, the most horrifying, the most powerful, really, moment. And 
fear just gripped my heart. We came to a stop when, when the bombs kept going off, when the rocket, whatever was hitting me. You know, I just felt like I was in the middle of a war zone. When it stopped, I looked at her and we both just were eyeball to eyeball in stark terror, but just gratitude that we were A, still alive, B, still able to walk. I got out of the car because there were cars just strewn everywhere on I-55. I went around, I was able to get her out of the car, and basically we helped each other to the, to the shoulder of the road. I'm going to tell you, I, I still, you can tell because I just told it as if I was there. I could have gone into more detail. I still cannot get that out of my head. Now, the good thing is, though it was as close to a war zone as anything I have been in, I have not been in another accident since that time, nor has my daughter. Yes, I do remember it. Yes, it is terrifying. But you know, I've kind of moved on in my life from the 11 car pileup. You might have read about it in the paper. We were car number two out of 11 on I-55 North that day. Um, I've moved on in my life. The Lord's been good. And it's kind of, as we say, in the rearview mirror. Let me tell you, that's like being close to a war zone. The Israelites were in a war zone. And they got hit as hard as a human being could get hit by the Babylonian army, the undisputed superpower of military might of that period of the ancient world. They built a siege ramp up the wall of Jerusalem. They couldn't go through the wall, so they just brought in earth. And when they came over that wall... And those troopers dropped in on the other side with, with their swords and their spears and all their horrible instruments of death and destruction. They killed indiscriminately everybody in their path. You and I cannot even begin to imagine the terror in Jerusalem that day as there were women wailing everywhere. There were children screaming. The city is now on fire and there are dead bodies strewn all over the place. You don't know whether to check and see if somebody's still alive or to run for your lives. And those people are screaming and cutting off heads. The Babylonians. Talk about post-traumatic stress. You know, it's not like they could forget it. Sure, they could never quite forget it. But they really couldn't forget it because the Babylonians put them in chains and basically walked them to, from Israel today to Iraq. And there they were in captivity in Babylon and they couldn't forget it, not only because of the trauma and a new generation that rose up and heard all about it, they couldn't forget it because every morning when their eyes woke up, they saw military might. They saw a reminder that Babylon was still there, that the gun, in a, so to speak, was still loaded, and that there was no escape. It was a horrible situation. But you know, we learn from the history of Israel, as it is recorded in the Holy Scriptures, that there came a time by the waters of Babylon as they were weeping, that they began to weep not only about what happened to them, but why it happened. 
they began to weep about their treason against the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, the covenant God who who had loved them and, and drawn them to be His own people out of all the nations of the world. They began to weep over their rebellion and their sin. And they began to read the words of the prophet. And in Isaiah 39, the prophecy is, you're going to Babylon, all of you, There's going to be death and destruction. The people you love, the sons and daughters, they're going to be carried to Babylon. You turn the page, and in Isaiah 40 is the next prophecy, and you know what it is. If you've been here, it's the prophecy of deliverance by the mighty hand of God. And you know, there they are. And surely, as they've said, we got into this mess because we neglected the Word of God. Surely, as God His word has come true in our being defeated and coming to this terrible place. His word must be equally true. That Babylon cannot stand up to him and that he will deliver us. Well, there's just one problem. It's the Babylonians. And I think you just really want to believe God's word. But you look up, and there they are. There, there's all the, there, the, there are the troops, you know, walking down the street, making sure everything is just the way it is. Is God's Word God's Word? Does God's Word, is it fulfilled or not? The undisputed superpower of the world versus God. That's what we have in our text. The undisputed superpower of the world versus the Word of the prophet, direct from God, to have faith in God. Now, folks, in case you haven't discovered this in your life, fear is not abnormal. It is, it is a normal thing to get hit four times on I-55 and be filled with stark terror. It is a normal thing to lose most of your relatives to the sword, to lose your home, and to be deported and to feel stark terror. The idea that all fear is wrong is wrong. The Bible doesn't address whether we ever react to certain realities with fear. The Bible asks this question, and it's exactly what God through His prophet is is challenging them with in this passage. Will we live in our fear? What will we do with our fear? Is there somebody greater than our fear? Is there any hope to not be shackled by our fear? And God is saying to these people, do not live in fear. I know you live in Babylon. I know you see the oppression. It's there. But walk in faith. Follow me. I will deliver you. I am God. There is no one else like me. I am greater than all the nations. They are a drop in the bucket. I mean, you do get it, don't you? You you don't play rock, paper, scissors with God versus anybody. Because God's transcendent over the game. God wins from start to finish. Period. End of sentence. He is God and no one else is. Folks, this is good news. If you know God, Yahweh God, through His Son Jesus Christ. Let me ask you. I know you all have fear. There are people here that are harboring tremendous fears in their lives. There's a lot of white noise. There's a lot of static in the hearts of souls here. 
gripped with fear. And I'm not suggesting that all fear is paralyzing and all kinds of fear are equal. But you know what it is. You ever just get stuck in your fear? Have you ever lived in fear? It's not a pleasant address. I've lived down that street before. You don't want to live there. God doesn't want you to live there. But here's the question this morning. What would beckon us in light of a reality that scares us or a past that has gripped us? What would beckon us away from fear and into faith? Well, to lead them out of their fears and to follow Him, the, the Lord uses vivid word pictures. So you like word pictures. Vivid word pictures to demonstrate why they can trust Him, why they can let go of their fears. And He does this to show us, basically, and it's the title of the sermon, that God is greater than. Now, I'm going to invite you to fill in the blank what God is greater than. It doesn't matter what you put in the blank. God is greater than. He shows us three things in this passage. God is greater than their fears, greater than the Babylonians, greater than what's going on in their situation in terms of His glory. God is greater than this. Secondly, in terms of His wisdom and leadership and and trustworthiness. And thirdly, He just gets right down to it and, and basically says to them, I'm just greater than Babylon. I'm greater than the nations or any other power. Let me give you a sentence. I'd like you to write it down. Some of you like to write down. I give you one sentence to talk about over lunch. So you can write this down. I'll repeat it twice. Only when we grasp the greatness of God can we see life in its proper perspective and live life to His glory. Let me say that again. Only when we grasp the glory of God, the greatness of God, can we live life in proper perspective and live life to His glory. I want us to look first at this notion that God is greater than in terms of His glory. Now, don't you find it interesting that the Lord doesn't preach a sermon at them at this point? He uses a a really great way to communicate. He asks a series of questions. He engages His people so that they will have to answer. Now, let me give you the handy-dandy hidden answer sheet, okay? For all the questions, the answer is, you ready for this? Nobody but God. All right? So all the questions we're about to ask and are about to be asked in the Scriptures, the answer is nobody but God. Or you might, from a different angle, say, not Babylon. (laughs) He asks the questions. In verse 12, he starts... Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands? Now, what you're going to see in these questions is kind of God using almost the ridiculous, like hyperbole, to show you a truth. What he's saying is all the waters of all the oceans, lakes, rivers, mud puddles, creeks, everything else, all the water on the planet. You know what? God is so big, God is so transcendent, it all could fit in the palm of his hand. You ever been around the ocean? It's huge. No, it's tiny compared to the transcendent glory of God. He says in verse 12, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? 
D.A. Carson says, God is presented as the creator of a universe dwarfed by his presence. Don't you love that? I like the word dwarfed. This universe, we love, I mean, and the universe is beautiful, isn't it? And it's huge, it's expansive. It's just dwarfed by the presence of Almighty God. Verse 12, who has marked off the heavens with a span? Now, the span is the, the length from the, it's a biblical measurement. It's the length from the tip of your um, thumb to the tip of your middle finger. So that's a span. What is God saying? The whole universe is like, I can't do it real well, that, that big to God. He's so big that the entire universe is just a span. Verse 12. Who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? And what this has to do with, with the idea, and he'll come back to it in a minute, is God is so much greater than his creation that, you know, all the dust of the earth, all the dirt of the earth, all the, you know, soil of the earth, it's, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like one little speck of grain left on a scale that doesn't even move the needle. Then he moved God's needle. The Himalayan mountain range, which is only one of thousands and thousands, is so small, you put it on the scale, it doesn't even budge the needle compared to God. And His glory, His kabod, His weight. And there's all the dirt and all the mountains in the world and they, they don't even budge the scales. What this means is, is that the majesty and glory and power of Yahweh is overwhelming. I love verse, uh, Psalm 102, verse 25. Listen to these words. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. It's just His creation. It's just the handiwork of His, his hands. It is dwarfed by the presence of the living God. So God is greater than Babylon. Think about what it is you're terrified right now. Greater than, just in terms of His glory. Next is He's greater than in terms of His wisdom and His leadership and reliability. Verse 13. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows Him, God, His counsel? Who did God consult? Who made Him understand? Who taught God the path of justice and taught Him knowledge and showed Him the way of understanding? Answer, say it out loud. One, two, three. No one. <laughs> no one. God alone is the one who is infinite in understanding, in knowledge, in wisdom, God alone is the one who is above and beyond a fallen world who is able to accurately judge and mete out correct judgment because He knows all things and does all things well. He is God. God is greater in glory. God is greater than in wisdom. And then God gets right down to it, doesn't He? Right down to their specific fear. You do realize that God will help you get down to a specific fear. If you're willing to, to look at that fear in light of God Himself and His glory and His reliability. Thirdly is, God is greater than Babylon. 
I love the Word, don't you? See it. Behold. Look. It's so there. It's so right. Behold, verse 15. Behold the nations, Babylon specifically. The nations, you know what they're like? Verse 15, look at it. They're like a drop from a bucket. They are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlines as fine dust. Lebanon will not suffice for fuel, nor all its beasts for a burnt offering. All the nations are nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. All the nations. You know what they're like? You know what the United States of America is like compared to God? Well, let me just show you. This is water. Some people think it's Coke. Some people think I have something in my Coke, but I don't. <laughs> and I, I was able to use this illustration in the early service. I'm not disrespecting the church's property. I told the deacons, Andy, just chill out because I'm about to pour a drop of water on our carpet. Now, some smart aleck deacon between the first and second service put a bullseye for me to drop it on a napkin. No, sir. That doesn't work. That does not work for this illustration. I have to be aggressive with the carpet for this to work. All right. Don't try this at home. The nations, Babylon, are like a drop in the bucket. Now, are you worried about the carpet? And that was a little more than a drop. I realized I couldn't do a drop. It was like a skosh or something. I'm not sure what it was. Hey, look. Here, look, deacons. <laughs> no, we're not worried about it. Why are we not worried about it? It's a drop of water on the carpet. Now, if we were to pull up some kind of a truck and put 10,000 gallons in here, that wouldn't go too well. Are we worried about a drop? No, that, and that is what God is saying. Babylon, the nations, the biggest power, the thing that scares you the most, it is just like that compared to God. It is a drop out of the bucket. It is a drop compared to an ocean of infinity. And this is great news. All the nations, verse 17, are nothing before Him. They are accounted as less than nothing. Emptiness. God is greater than, and then there's this thing about Lebanon. You know, Lebanon, you know, if you've ever seen their flag, it's a cedar tree. You know why? Because it's a very mountainous region and there's incredible forests. Guess what? God is so great, you can't cut, you can cut down all the trees of Lebanon to, to make a fire for a burnt offering. You can take, the, the prophet says, all the animals in that forest of Lebanon, and it will not suffice for a burnt offering to Almighty God. Fact. Do you know why a lamb sufficed in the Old Testament? Not because there's something special about a lamb, but because God made there's something special about a lamb. You could kill all the animals in the world without Him declaring them substitutionary and important and without Him giving them meaning, you could kill every animal in the world and burn every tree in the world and it would mean nothing before this holy God of majesty and might. All the trees of Lebanon, all the creatures crawling there, 
are not sufficient for a burnt offering before this God. So, why then would we fix our eyes on anything else but Him? It gets kind of elementary down, you know, this, this thing of walking with God kind of gets down to some elementary principles, doesn't it? Well, we know the answer to that question. We're human. We're sinful. We live in a, a fallen world. We're people who are easily afraid. And we need to be constantly reminded, don't we? Not only of God's love and His grace for us, and that is what He did in the last few passages. And we need to hear the gospel over and over that we are loved. And if it's going to be okay, and it will be, all things work to the good of those who love Him. It is because of His grace, because of His love. But we not only need to be reminded of His grace and love, this passage shows us we need to be reminded of His glory and His power over all things. This is good news, folks. So do you get it? Those things that fill you with fear this morning, drop in the bucket. So won't you look at your fears through the lens of God's glory? And won't you realize that God's perfect love is what removes fear? when we focus on that love and grace for us in Christ. There are many biblical explanations, many of them given by Jesus Christ Himself, many of them given by the Apostle Paul and other people in the Bible about why Jesus came. You know, Jesus came, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I came, Jesus said, let us go to other villages that I might preach. For that is why I came. But you know, one of my favorite sentences about Jesus was his basically insistence over and over that he came to do the will of the Father. Jesus did not live in fear. Jesus laid aside some kind of glory of something. We don't know exactly what the emptying is, but he, he took up humanity. He became like us in every way, yet without sin. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus Christ, the God who is a man, did not live in fear. And one of the reasons he didn't live in fear is he, he always had one eye on the Father. In fact, he said, I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. I've come to do the will of the Father. And, and don't you love His words just right there toward the ends of his, his life when He said, I have completed everything that the Father has given me to do. I mean, that's kind of like a, a, a forerunner of it is finished. Because He was going to the cross, you see. I've completed everything that the Father has given me to do. And yes, that included living a life in our place that we could never live before God. That included never breaking the perfect law of God one time in his life, not once, so that we could get his perfect record by putting our trust in him. That included dying a death that we deserved and the judgment that our sins before a holy God deserved. Yes, Jesus, in completing all that the Father had given him to do, delivered himself up to die on the cross and take that punishment 
He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. Let me tell you something about Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Right now, He reigns. This is very important because you got some shades of, and, and some things that go bump in the night in your life. You've got some things left over from times past that tie you down. Jesus Christ reigns. And if you have put your trust, rather than in your own righteousness, your own religious efforts, to try to become compatible and, and accepted by a three times holy God, if you have put your trust in what Christ has done and completed that the Father gave Him to do, let me tell you something about you. You are represented in Him right now at the throne of God. You are accepted in Him. You are adopted by Him into God's family at the throne of God. And if you know Him and you know He's got you, this helps us to go back and, and have one of those, and I, I say this a lot, oh yeah moments. Oh yeah. That is who I am. That is who He is. Everything is, else is a drop in a bucket, and, and we can fix our eyes on Jesus, who is not only the author, but the finisher of our faith. Now, I have one more question for you, and I want to tell you on the front end, it's a pesky question. See, all we've dealt with right now is the fact that the, uh, the um, Israelites reacted to this horrible providence, were filled with terror, and in the face of Babylonian um, oppression and, and military might, needed to trust God. And I'm saying that is exactly what we need to do in our lives. We need to trust God, and we need, we need for the Lord to address those fears. And remember when the, the glory of God is greater than then our fears become less. But I want to ask you a question that gets, kind of gets toward where we're going next. And that isn't just how you handle fear that has happened. I want to know this. What would you decide to do in your life if you didn't have fear? See, that's a different question, isn't it? It's not just what do you do with the fear you have. What if you didn't live in fear? What would you do? What different decisions would you make if you did not have such fear in your life? Now, don't go American dream on me, okay? I mean, don't say I'd, I'd buy a bigger truck on credit even though I'm afraid I can't pay for it. That, that's not the kind of thing we're asking here. You know, don't, don't start being grandiose. No, those may not be bad things. Some of you have big trucks. Um, those may not be bad things, but Isaiah might put the question a little bit differently than that. Maybe he would pose it this way. What would you decide to do that God is calling you to do if you didn't have fear in your life? Would you actually make changes in your life? Maybe you would take a new job on. Maybe, maybe you would begin to, to move in a, in a direction that you're, you're just afraid right now. Maybe you would begin to get training for a specific ministry that deep in your heart you know God has gifted you and you really would like to glorify Him that way and you just won't take the step. I don't know what it is. You're just afraid. 
Maybe you would say, that's, that's, that is what God wants me to do. And I'm going to do it. Uh, maybe you would change the way you parent your children. Maybe if you didn't have fear and if you weren't afraid of them, or if you weren't afraid of the perception of you in relationship to them with other people, maybe without that fear, you might raise your children differently. Maybe you would forgive your spouse without worrying that they're going to take that forgiveness. Or maybe you would repent to your spouse without worrying they would take that repentance and beat you over the head with it like a club. Just because God's calling you to do it. Maybe, young people, maybe you would break up with that person that is not good for you spiritually and is leading you in this relationship in the wrong direction, and that person, you know it in your heart, needs to go. Maybe if you didn't have fear of being alone, maybe if you didn't have fear of the perception of your peers, maybe you would step out and do that. Look, it does, I'm not, it's not some mystical thing. What does God want us to do? God has clearly shown us in His Word, just today He wants us to love our neighbors. Today, men... Though we fall short, He wants us to love our wives and lay our lives down for them sacrificially like Christ loved the church. That's what He's calling us to do. He is calling us to raise our children in the truth, unequivocally, with grace, to walk alongside them and guide them. He is calling us to be honest at work. He is calling us to be honest with money. He is calling us to stop cheating at school. You get, you get what I'm talking about here? If we weren't afraid of our grades, if we weren't afraid of this, if we weren't afraid of the bills, what would we do if we didn't have this fear in our lives? Man, it's a great question. It's a great question. How would you act out on real confidence in God's glory? And His leadership, through His Word, the prophet's Word, in your life. Hey, a little parenthetically thing. Can I get a little pastoral privilege here? What would our church do if we didn't have fear? I think we'd build a building. When the economy's not the best it's ever been. Right? Right. That's what we're going to do. Buckle up! We call this series Run and Not Grow Weary. And I tell you, one of the main things that just wears us out in our lives is fear. And the nursing and the maintenance of fear in our lives and all the contemplation about about what happened to us and what we were and what we are and what we're afraid of and what we're afraid to do, it just wears us out. Jesus is calling us to something greater than this in Him. Now, I want to repeat my little sentence for you and then I want to read, just for impact, a portion of our text. And just let it hit you and just, just say, I got it. And then we'll pray. Only when we grasp the greatness of God 
can we see life in its proper perspective and live life to his glory? And here's the scripture. Behold. See it. Get it. Believe it. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and they are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlines like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor all its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted as less than nothing before him and emptiness. The word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you see us. You you hear that white noise of fear. You, You see the things that are barriers. Would you open our hearts to the truth of your word? Would you show us that you are who you said you are, that you are still the covenant keeping God. You're God, you're the God that in whom every promise that you have made is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. You never put your trust in Christ, but you see it. You, you can't do it with the Holy God. And you would like to just pray with me, Lord, I turn from everything that I've called religion. Everything that I've called Christianity, I turn from it all. I turn from my own efforts and and my own sense and my own rebellion and put my trust, Jesus, in what you have accomplished for me on the cross. Thank you that even now you have come into my life. Even now your spirit is given to me. Even now I am accepted in the beloved at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Lord, there are many of us who have known you for quite some time and how we need reminding of your grace and your love so that we can repent and come back into your arms boldly based on the finished and completed work of Jesus. We need to be reminded today of your transcendent glory greater than our fears Lord, would you be pleased to make that comparison in the hearts of your people this morning? And would you work by your mighty power for your people to get it and to let go of a fear, to let go of it by your power? And Lord, would you help us also open our lives to what it would be to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus? author and finish of our faith, would you do wonderful things in and through our lives to glorify yourself. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.